tell me a bit about like where you've been, what you've been up to, your background, how you've got into the industry as a whole. That depends kind of like, you know, how far back in time you want me to go. I've been doing this for like 30 something years, for 35 years probably. So background is complicated, but uh, last year's basically, it's complicated actually. I don't know what I'm doing. I honestly don't. I just change what I'm interested in <laughs> every couple of weeks and then uh, oh, this is boring. Let's let's do something else, right? So now it's DevOps. So now it's Kubernetes. Let's say. So you were, you did DevOps before? Did you do software uh, engineering? Were you were software engineer before. Yeah, I was. I was. I'm first and foremost a developer, software engineer. Then anything else, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just that I'm doing slightly less of that these days than than before. That's the that's the only tangible difference, right? But yeah, I was I was developer. That's I still am. When did the transition to DevOps happen then? I wouldn't call it transition to DevOps. Uh, I would call it transition to some sort of automation that will help me not do whatever I need to do. Kind of, I think that most <laughs> of my career is motivated by that heavy investment in automation, so that I don't have to do it, right? And uh, right. then. All that is it was having different forms depending on the period of time. Kind of, we called it test-driven development, and then automation of tests, and then uh, CI with Jenkins, and so on and so forth. Right. So it's just I, I see all of that as different forms of automation. Yeah. So I guess say so if you were developing, then you managed to get into it because you wanted to kind of just unblock yourself. From exactly. You know, hey, Victor, why don't you deploy, why, why don't you, uh, and I'm talking like many, many years ago, right? Why don't you do uh, release to production, right? Which at that time we were doing it twice. I did it once, I did it twice. Second time I automated it so I don't have to do it the third time. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then you can dedicate things to something more interesting, like playing video games, right? Yeah. And then, uh, so what, what, where did that happen then? What organizations was that? Oh, uh, last, uh, let's say 10 years or so, that's usually startups, open source focused companies. Right. And before that, it was completely random, right? Uh, like the one of the companies where I stayed the, lo the most long, long time ago, that was a lottery based company. Right? And then you say you were like software engineering there and then got into like, basically having to deploy things and then things didn't work. And then you're like, why isn't this easier? This exactly. Be so hard. Exactly. Yeah. Or very often because uh, I would get disappointed, not to say mad at somebody. We cannot continue doing this. I don't know. Speaking with testers, for example, and then you say, "Okay, fuck it. Uh, I'm going to kind of I'm going to lock myself for a week and then solve that problem." Right. So uh, done pro like just finally got something that's not so tactical. Exactly. Yeah, and a bit more strategic in like actually, how do we just not keep? being stuck in this horrible loop. Yeah. Of doing silly things. Yeah. Of doing things that do not bring value, right? I think that it, it's not really that much. I'm, I'm exaggerating a bad bit when I say because I'm bored or, or lazy, right? But simply, th th there are many things in our industry that do not bring any value. And uh, yeah. if, you, if you ask for definition, what does not bring value, that's the same thing doing more than once. What do you think to, like... Um... I guess the, para the, the pa weird paradox of, because um, our industry is a bit strange. And the reason I'm going to say it is like DevOps, the DevOps kind of space, which isn't really, which is, I know it's like a methodology, really. It's not really a, a thing. But the automation of what seems 
pretty basic asks of the industry that have existed for like so long, it's unreal, right? So software delivery has been going on for such a long time. And what the applications require hasn't drastically changed that much in all of that time. Um, but yeah, you have, yeah, so you have that going on on one side. And then you'll have like AI and all these other things that are going on in parallel. And you just think, how is the world, how is the tech world so like differentiated on like such extremes in one place and such little investment in another? Um, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel that that is something very specific for our industry that doesn't exist in any other industry. And that is that you have the top call it 5%, 10%, 20%, doesn't matter what the percentage is, but you have top that really are advanced in something, right? And then you have a bottom of everybody else. And in between, there is a huge chasm, right? Kind of like, yeah. there is a huge emptiness bef- between this and this, right? And that doesn't happen that often in other industries or at all. Yeah, it's strange though, because I don't, I can't really figure out why, it has happened, though, to be honest, because there's been so much progress in in so many other places and such a little investment in innovation in... Yeah, I don't know. I've never really fathomed why there was lack of innovation, like so much little it's, innovation in that space. It's little innovation, I think, in, in part because the timeframes changed drastically, right? Mm. If you take a, take a company from some industry, whatever that industry is, let's say bank, banking, to say something, and it applies to everybody else. And those were industries when you go really, really fast, there will be a drastic change in 10 years from now. Yeah. Right? Kind of like, and in our industry, and next week, we are going to do things completely different, right? <laughs> it's the, the duration of, uh, that is required for a change to happen is drastically different, right? Yeah, true. And the number of, I guess, the intermediary between the def- the applications themselves and the amount that an application can consume, as in the variability of what it might end up wanting to consume, um, and the landscape oh, yeah. change of that variability, which is always constant, means you've kept on your toes of like how you're ever going to figure out how to make this streamlined. Because um, it's changing yes that's true yeah i mean imagine being let's say an architect and saying hey i haven't really done something completely different completely never seen before in three years you would say that's normal kind of like okay so you don't reinvent yourself every three years that's a normal thing for an architect right yeah yeah. in software industry kind of three years ago we did not have kubernetes right and three years before that we didn't have containers and three years before that we didn't have even something called virtualization, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's constantly, constantly evolving all the time. And how do you how do you keep up with it all? What's your tactics of like keeping a pace of the industry? I'm in a very fortunate. I feel that wherever I'm working, I'm always given sufficient amount of freedom to explore, right? Right. So. I mean, I'm going to extremes, which I wouldn't recommend to everybody else and say that I actually explore new stuff probably more than 50% of my time, right? Uh, I wouldn't go to that extreme, but I think that there must be a free day without any plan, right? And I think because plans are actually what stops people 
from learning fast, right? Because the right approach is that I do not know what this will do. I do not know how it might help me or whether it will help me at all. But I do not, I cannot know that until I actually really dive into it, right? Yeah. So you'll basically you end up having um, almost like a learning discovery, learning, yeah, kind of you buffer know, that you just like, at any point in time you're going to like go and investigate. You know, like if you just tell me now the name of a project I never heard, I would probably write it down and wouldn't even ask you kind of what it is. I'll figure it. I'll I'll, I'll discover it. That's the fun part, right? Um, and you just do that every week. And what are you doing then at, at Upbound, um, which is where you are, isn't it, at the moment? Is that yes. right? Just to double check. Yeah, I just wanted to double check because you said you you move on to things. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, still in Upbound. Depends. Yeah. By the time you watch this, who knows? But yeah, exactly. I'm in Upbound, who knows? Right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> on um, 30th of June, 2023, I'm in Upbound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and by the 1st of July, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows okay so what is it you're doing there exactly do you get to i guess what is it you how did you even arrive there what was the the link uh so what i do there i'm officially developer advocate i tend to put my fingers into many different areas but officially if you ask what's my position as developer advocate in upbound um, and how did i arrived uh i'm not 100 sure uh because so the story is that i use crossplane uh, before I knew anybody or no relation, right? And then somehow over time, uh, I, I spoke with a couple of people from Upbound, a couple of people from Upbound spoke with me and kind of it was a logical step. Hey, yeah, I like Crossplane. Crossplane is my main focus right now. Why don't I work there? Nice. And were you, were you contributing to it at the time or using? More using than contributing. Oh, that's pretty cool. So then you ended up kind of working there and doing... Yeah. You know, yeah. I... Again, I'm a bit privileged, but I like that situation is that where you could choose to work for a company or on a project that you're passionate about, independently mm. of whether you work there or not, right? And what is it that makes you passionate about it? Because it's one of the projects that doesn't provide, you know, most projects in certain area, they're becoming better than some other project uh, because they slightly do something better, right? Uh, mm. You know, and... Crossplane, I think, make, makes bigger leap than that, right? It's not slight variation compared to other similar tools. Like, hey, this is going to be a different, better format to define something or this or that, but completely changing the, the approach uh, of how we manage infrastructure and services and what's not, right? So, and I, I, like, uh, I, I like radical changes, right? Or projects that yeah. try to make... Uh, big leap in a way were you using it then in places you were working or were you yes places where yeah. i worked and uh, in my case it's always a combination of place where i work plus uh, i do a lot of conversations with different companies uh not not in terms of doing consulting for them but kind of a couple of hours hey tell me about your problem let, let, let's see whether we can figure it out and in those cases, also Crossplane was my recommendation at that time for certain types of um, workload. You're not a Terraform advocate as well, secretly undercover, who's mm, gone to Crossplane. I, I was. Yeah. So uh, actually, if you go back in time, 
I was a huge proponent of CF Engine, which nobody knows every, anymore. Kind of yeah, remembers yeah, that yeah. That I remember existed. CF Engine. Th- yeah. There you go, right? And then yeah, yeah. Chef and Puppet came along and came, oh, yeah. how could I ever have used CF Engine? What you was the dirty. matter with me? Kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of, why did I ever do it? I'm ashamed. Exactly. I feel yeah. dirty. And then yeah. the same thing happened with Ansible. Kind of, oh, but why was I using Chef and Puppet? Well, what was the purpose now that, and then that, that that uh, moved into Terraform. I completely switched to Terraform, and I'm completely switched to Kubernetes controllers type of uh, yeah. way to manage stuff, which in my case is cross-plane. Right? And what do you think, though, from it? Um, I'm just curious to know. This is quite a technical question to a degree, but using Kubernetes for things like that that are, um, the, I guess, the eventual consistency approach on something that's very relationship and dependency driven and isn't eventually consistent. Like sometimes it will just never work. So yes, if there are, so to begin with, if there are cases where that wouldn't work, then we shouldn't be doing it, right? So yeah. there is no, okay, so Victor likes this type of tool. That's the best choice always, right? If you cannot have an eventual consistency, uh, it's definitely not a good fit, right? Uh, mm. I would even go as far as to say that many, t- I think that, all the tools in that area that were based on immutability first before mutability are a bad fit in those cases. I would probably discard Terraform as well and go for something closer to Ansible, right? Now, there is that gray area between, yeah, eventual consistency is something I want and eventual consistency is that I cannot use. And that gray area is maybe you don't know that yeah. Actually, that's maybe you don't really realize that uh, it it should be eventually consistent, right? Yeah, because I guess cloud resources, you know, the, the, I guess the funny things around Kubernetes as a whole, I mean, it's, it's got lots of value. So, mm-hmm. but um, system design around it, because um, it doesn't have a concept, there's no relationship, right? Just lots and lots of objects. So there's no native fundamental relationship mapping there is actually relationship but taught in a different way so let's say that you have a pod right where your application is running and that application needs some confidential information which will be mounted as a secret to a pod right yeah there is no kind of relationship in terms that oh you need to create secret first and then the pod because you cannot do it the other way around right yeah but on the other hand through the concept of I cannot do this because I don't have a secret, so I hence I cannot be running. Hidden relationship is, is there. It's just managed in a different way, right? Kubernetes will figure out that I don't know whether this and this is related, but this does not work without that, which doesn't work without that, right? Yeah, and it'll just keep retrying until that thing's there. And then when it's there, it'll carry on working. I guess the issue is it might never get there. And you know, and it could take you a while before you know that it's never going to arrive. And so I guess it's like the the humanistic element of like, how does somebody know they've done something wrong fast? Like fast feedback loop is it's a it's a it's a difficult you know speed of is speed of um, if fixing something wrong and getting the fast feedback loop is never going to work. You know, you've got that on one hand. You've also got like things can just arrive. Things like uh, pulling down a container. It, it could pull down any time, right? It could be slow to pull down. It could, it could. The auth might be missing, but then you give it, and then the auth is there, and then I can pull it. And you know, so there's lots of things that can go on. And so I understand, like, there's many pieces that can eventually get there, and then it, it gets consistent. 
but knowing you've done something wrong fast also is quite difficult because you could spend time to work out, spend a fair bit of time just to figure it out. True. I mean, apart from the learning curve, which is huge for yeah. Kubernetes, right? I don't think it's that much about knowing immediately or not knowing immediately, depending on if you put alerts that will notify you when actually something is cannot be created, like secret, for example, is hanging in a pending state for more than five seconds. You send alert and you find out about that, right? I think that the bigger question is the change of the concept uh, of the mental model where you're not managing a blob of things. I think that that's the biggest uh, difference, yeah. right? That uh, So if, if you go more tra transactional route, you would say, my Kubernetes cluster uh, is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and stuff, right? And you, you all the time manage the life cycle of all that, like one big group of things, right? Yeah. In Kubernetes, it's it's very different. And that's that's a problematic part, uh, at least to, to get it. Conceptually. Once it, yeah. once it reaches the API, all of them go different ways. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's almost like opening a gate of a uh, uh, school, schoolyard. And letting the children kind of like from the bus, they were grouped in a bus, right? We know exactly who's in a bus. And then you open the doors to the playground and then every child for himself, right? From that, that <laughs> moment on, you, if you try to gain control of the situation as a whole, you're going to lose. Yeah, because I'm a bit on the fence because I love, you know, I, I like it conceptually. It makes a lot of sense. But there's parts of it that I think over time the problem moves somewhere else to be solved. So like you were saying before, it's then like, but if you want to know about that stuff, then you need to now go and do X, Y, and Z to go and find out about that stuff. And it, and it, and a part of me is like, okay, um, which is not problematic, but now I've got more work to do than maybe oh, yeah. I, ant I anticipated I would need to do because I would have expected it to tell me that... Um, you know, it, it isn't going to work because I actually technically haven't done something you were expecting me to do. And it's that humanistic feedback of, I kind of want to know if I'm doing something wrong, but I don't, for me to know what I'm doing wrong, I have to know it first before I can set an alert, before I know that I need to be informed of a thing I didn't do. So it's like, I've got to go through the process before I can get to the, do you see what I mean? Yes. It's like, I've yes. got to learn the hard way before I can get better at it. And that's the thing. And not only that you need to learn that thing the hard way, you need to learn every single individual component, right? If we go yeah. back to my example of the children, letting them lose in a schoolyard, the only solution for that is to bring their parents. Kind of like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Each one of you is going to watch for your own child. I kind of like, <laughs> I, I'm losing any hope to put them back into, into, into the bus, right? Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny because it's it's pros and cons, isn't it? It's not like there's a right or a wrong. It's pros and cons for every system and every design that's, and every conceptual. Thing. I feel but, yeah. that that's that's where people enter into the trap. Uh, hearing can let's say that hearing me saying you should use Kubernetes to manage X Y Z and somebody else saying you should use this or that, right? That most of them are correct within the concept of what they're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and equally wrong for 80% of the rest of the cases. Yeah. Well, what I've learned is your advice was to go and use CF Engine. That's what I took from... Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. Bring it, bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's get it revived. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, 2023, um, the rise of the phoenix of CF Engine. Now, look, the only constant thing that's shell, shell scripts. That's yeah, the only true. kind of like constant reliable thing that will exist tomorrow. Yeah, that's 100% true. So I'm, I'm curious to know then, Nick, the, the, I don't know how much you kind of pay attention now to the, the market overall, you know, like all the platform engineering, oh, yeah. the, the markets, all about it, what your thoughts are and all of that. And I guess it's uh-huh. in that camp, yeah? Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, I would probably start by saying that we've been having platform engineering for at least 30 something years. I don't know before yeah. because I wasn't working in this industry. Uh, and then we, we change names all the time, right? But in bigger companies, not necessarily in smaller, co- actually, there were always two types of, let's say, efforts from 30, 40 years ago. It's either you're building your own or you are uh, buying somebody's portal something, yeah. right? Uh, what really changed now, like a couple of years that we have a new name first, internal developer platform, and <laughs> before it was the same thing called differently. But more importantly, that the certain other necessary pieces fell into the place for that to pr- become an area not that everybody's trying, but now uh, there is a decent chance of succeeding for a change, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's that we have, which, we have much more standards, right? We are much more based on, uh, we can, for the potentially first time, I think, in, in software industries that we can marry two things, and that's standard. Opinion, it is something, but more as a standard, not a solution, uh, combined with what you really need, right? Uh, we were always lacking one or the other. Yeah. Like, in, like, for example, if you're going to bake your own observability something, something, hey, you're going to use uh, uh, open... Oh, my brain stopped. Um uh, Open telemetry. Open telemetry. See, I'm yeah. too old for this. Uh, open telemetry, <laughs> right? And you can big, big cook, cook your own solution that is going to be part of the developer platform uh, with a very low risk that things are going to change drastically tomorrow, right? Tools are going mm. to change. You're going to get rid of uh, some things that you have and uh, some other things are going to stay. But open telemetry, which is where you spend most of your effort, is actually here to stay for sure. And similar things apply to to many other areas, right? We are having better standards than we had before. Do you think it is the better standards or just the rise of complexity? Because back like 30 years ago, even though there wasn't the same level of like sophisticated automation, Mm -hmm. it was much simpler as in there were less things, right? So, So I would slightly redefine that and say that the things we were doing in the past are equally simpler or easier to do today. Mm. But our jobs are much complex simply because we are not doing, not trying to accomplish the goals that we had years ago. They're yeah. completely different, right? So complexity did not increase for the same objective. It's just that our objectives are very different than they were before. What is the percentage of the companies who could realistically expect, for example, to have uh, high availability brought through the ability to run data centers joined in a single cluster in multiple zones, right? Five years mm-hmm. ago, that was an unimaginable for 
5% of companies, right? Developer principles have probably been the most consistently standard for a longer time. And then the yes. infrastructure principles have probably evolved quite drastically, um, more so over time. And therefore, I think because one shifted radically more than the other, that's how I, I kind of feel like the, the, the need for platform engineering has become a greater need because you've now got so much evolution. We changed like you were saying, like some of the standards, some things just don't stay around for very long. Every three years, it's constantly evolving. And if you can't, if now that it's on that inflection point of just constantly, constant iterations and evolution going on, but devs are still writing tests and coding and doing the same things they were all those other years ago. So it's... Timeframes are slightly different, but yeah. I think the same things were happening. It's just that depending on the segment of the industry, it started late, sooner or later, right? If you actually, uh, if you go back 20 years in time and, we, and you say what you just said, developers, blah, 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 write tests, that was not happening. True. True. That's a new thing that you don't have a separate testing department and you can write true, any type of true. code and just give it to them. That's a new thing. Now, it's not as new as it's older than some other things and newer than others, right? That's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that the, the key inflection point is always when will certain segment of the industry or type of task we do realize that it cannot be done without writing code? Mm. That realization of the need to write code is what, what was changing all those areas, right? Once testing realized as a discipline that actually testing is writing code, things changed drastically. And the yeah. same thing we have now, I mean, now for a while already for infrastructure, right? But we are now increasing. Hey, networking until not long ago was uh, very, very different, right? My, yeah. Very less, much less dependent on the code you write. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and not software defined either. Really, it was pretty manual. Exactly, you know, there is a button over there, up and down. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it's interesting because the the platform engineering space, or and even the ones in the cloud, the the expansion of it. I guess first of all, just the offering of the cloud in itself changed so that was quite radical um and then the tooling around it had to evolve because suddenly the things had to shift around the cloud tooling which arguably was still tooling um yeah and completely not... specific yeah. aws zero zero there is zero uh, hours of experience you can switch from, you can reuse in Azure, right? Or tooling or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally, or yeah. Google Cloud or whatever else you're using. Yeah, yeah. Totally fundamentally different. And even the concepts, they've got different concepts. So they're not like, there's, there isn't, it's not like you can just port from one to the other. Yeah, it didn't, but then the tooling we came up with was less, it was kind of funny because you would have thought maybe those years ago, that it might have become dev centric when somebody was trying to think it through um, and rather than think about it for the same people that are already kind of learning it because it's like I'm learning it and creating a tool for it at the same time. I, I think that the key, you just said the keyword kind of uh, people, right? Most of the time when we talk about some kind of tooling processes, whatever used internally, right? 
we have a tendency to forget that there are people, actual yeah. people using that something, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm going to create this solution for X, whatever, to how configuring networking in my company. And I'm making it for me, exclusively <laughs> for me or my team. I'm not definitely making it for everybody else in the company, right? And and that that was the I I feel that that's a big shift that is happening uh, more widely now last years right no actually you have a customer you need to build this thing so that other people can use it not you yeah exactly because the devs it it's it, it's been intriguing because the devs you would have thought they would have entered the equation Heroku did it right it was oh, yeah. for Amazon they came along years ago and were like do you know what this is what we can do is create a much better developer-centric way of thinking about the cloud. And so they went off and they and they did a great job. You know, they made it very simple and easy um, for developers. But they were a bit of an outlier and then didn't, you know, they kind of did that. And there wasn't huge amounts of competitors that were doing a similar thing either. So it's kind of strange that... Um, didn't get momentum in the market. I think that half of the industry right now is trying to replicate internally or externally Heroku. Heroku, yeah. Heroku. I, I think that that's a golden that's that's a golden grail today, right? It um, is. It is. Yeah. The problem with Heroku is that I feel it had only one single problem, and that's that it came too early. Yeah, you're probably right there. If Heroku itself appeared five years later. Completely. If Heroku, for example, came when at the same time when Docker emerged, that would be that would be such a perfect uh, yeah uh, mix. Yeah, you're right. It probably was a bit too too far ahead for its own exactly good in some ways. Yeah, and that's kind of that's that's that confusing part. How can you be too good for <laughs> yeah. me? But kind of yeah, I was I, yeah, too good for us. At that time. Yeah, it was. It was too good, yeah. And people probably were a bit... Because people in our space, software like developers loved it. But if you ever met anybody that wasn't a developer inside of a business... Hated. You, they hated it, right? They were like, what is this? No, you can't use this. It's And they'd all find reasons to like why people weren't allowed to use Heroku. It happened all the time in the company. I feel without sounding offensive, right, that that's because... Depending on the group you're in or what you're focused on, your velocity might be like this or like this. It's always going up, yeah. right? People are always improving. But certain areas were more used to longer longer delays between changes, right? And yeah. we had that that's at the time of Heroku, that's what happened. I felt that the speed with which developers wanted to go and simplicity was mismatched with the speed of infrastructure or whatever other specialties were were in place right yeah and 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 business models internally were such traditional it models you know so there were like you know you'd have an architect still it was still probably a bit waterfall you know there wasn't you know agile wasn't like was kind of there but not really massively a big thing product thinking definitely really wasn't there product mindset wasn't necessarily there so there was yeah, you're right. I think the timing of it, because of all the things that where people were, they hadn't got their heads shifted fully and gone through a transformation yet to have then been like, oh, right, now it makes sense. Now I see what you're trying to do. Exactly. And I yeah. feel that we are not even right now 100% there. I think that we yeah, are true. getting very close, but even right now we're not there as 
is the world, right? Uh, yeah. And definitely not at the time of Heroku. What, 20 years? 15? I'm not sure. How yeah, long. it was, yeah, because it got bought by... Is it bought, bought by Salesforce? SAP. Uh, Salesforce, SAS, yes. Yeah, Salesforce. Yeah. Uh, one of the two, I'm not sure. Or maybe yeah. they're the same company, not sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's mad. So um, what, what else do you, in the platform space, do you think's interesting outside of Kubernetes and Upbound and OpenTelemetry? I feel that a platform space is actually getting to the point where it's everything. Mm. I So I think that there are two different schools of thought there. Um, one would be that you have a platform engineering team or a group of people who are creating your platform, right? Uh, and I think that that's wrong, completely, completely, utterly wrong. It will never work, right? Um, and the other one is more to create conditions in which all different experts in certain things, nothing directly related to the platform, can use to plug in their experience, to convert their experience into a service, right? Right. So I see platform engineering more like a principle in which you know something. You're, so you imagine that you're an expert in one thing and you know five other things, right? But the thing that you're expert, that's how you, prov- you you should enable others to be able to do the, what what you're expert at, right? And when you others mean, like, do that to you, exactly, exactly, like commoditize or, your your expertise, so it's more commoditized for other people. Yes, you it's mean more that, that yeah. you instead of being the person who does something, whatever that something is. Let's say that I'm the person who can install and configure a database, right? Yeah. Instead of being that person, I'm actually trying to figure out how people can do that themselves, right? So I'm, um, you can think of it almost, in a way, almost like a way of automation, right? You remember the conversation from the beginning when I said, I want to automate things so that I don't have mm. to do them, right? Why would I react whenever somebody sends me an email or Jira ticket? Hey, I need a database and I'm a DBA, let's say. Why would I create a database for them? Why wouldn't I create a button that people yeah, can so push? Can get their own. Exactly. Yeah. And I, then I can continue watching Netflix, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that the, uh, that's the, going to be one of the, um, the measurement of success is the number of Netflix hours that you manage yeah. to, uh, to uh, achieve. And that's how you know. If it's going down, then you know you're not doing a yeah. good job. You need to automate more. I mean, but my job is still to keep an eye. I'm responsible for the system, right? I'm always responsible for all the databases in my uh, company. I'm not removing that work from people. I'm just saying there are silly parts of that work, right? There are complicated parts that I need to do. And there are things that are everybody's doing it the same. It's just that I'm the only one who knows how to do it. And then hence I have to do it. When you get to that thing that I will do always the same, but myself, then that's when you give it as a service to others. Yeah. So I guess, so it's going to be more on having a framework of which to provide capabilities back to others so exactly. that you can invest in what those capabilities need to be as the expert, commoditize it, and then let people consume in a and much simpler way so not, there's less dependency on your knowledge. So that I can spend my time in something that brings even more value. More value I think it's always yeah. about increasing the value, right? Yeah. Is it more value for me to figure out how to optimize databases to be five milliseconds faster, whatever, right? 
or mm. to do the same, uh, create a, create a new database every time somebody asks for me uh, for it, right? Yeah. One has bigger, or you can think of it as a problem of scale, right? If you have an organization with thousand people, you need five databases. I'm throwing random numbers there, and then if your organization jumps to ten thousand people, do you need five times more people to manage those databases, or you will scale your op operations so that mm. you can do more, right? Yeah, and do you, do you, do you think then there, there are like gaps still in investment on value? Because I, 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 what I find the most in most companies is the building, there's still a lot of building going on. You know, people are always like building things, building things, building things. And that goes on a lot. Like that seems to be where, if you probably measure most businesses, that's probably where more time is spent. And then the operating bit, which is really hard, to be honest, to like really oh, think yeah. through, you know, how do people get all the information? How is security done end to end? You know, how does this feed in so everyone's got visibility? You know, all those things tend to get less attention. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's just not as interesting, maybe. Who knows? I'm not sure. I mean, it's a combination of two. I think that eventually I think that most companies are going to... Um consume something as a service so that they can focus on, you know, this, the same what I said as me as individual, I want to do X mm. so that I can focus on Y. I think that that applies to companies as a whole, right? And that's probably the reason why we are seeing, for example, uh, drastic increase in, in companies moving to cloud yeah. is because the, at one moment comes realization, no, that's not my business. There is, there is no differentiation that I can provide by managing my own servers instead of going somewhere else, right, to, yeah. to hyperscaler. Uh, once you realize that I'm not making differentiating value, then it makes perfect sense to uh, use a solution from somebody, whether that's Heroku, whether that's hyperscaler or any other service that mm. depends what you need, really. But you cannot be a... focusing on what does not bring value for you, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I do have a really like this is I've, I've not worked this out. So it's a bit of a weird question. And it's a little it's just doing what you were talking about on prem hyperscalers. When the public cloud starts moving on prem, are they still public cloud? Or are they hybrid cloud? Like what are they classified as in the market? And I, I, I couldn't understand this myself. I was like, do they change market categories? It's actually very complicated for me to uh, to to even have a conversation based on a word like cloud, because uh, we all tend to have very different images of what something means. Yeah, but it's more like the market though. Like at the moment, like, I think if you were to look at the market that Amazon, Google, and Azure are in, they're in the public cloud market is yeah. public cloud providers but i think public cloud providers was the assumption that they were providing a service for you to go and consume cloud like they own the infrastructure absolutely but but now they've got services that run on your infrastructure like suddenly you're like I, does that mean you've now changed market slightly or they've, they've expanded their market into being hybrid cloud and now just not public cloud yeah you know i like to Differentiate it more like I, I think that bigger distinction is whether I'm consuming something as a service, yeah. right? Because to to me, uh, AWS is just as much cloud as Datadog or GitHub, right? Right. Three completely yeah, yeah, different things. Sense. Yeah. To me, that's all cloud service, right? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, true. It's more differentiation. Okay, so are you pure software service or? I mean, actually, you're you're always, and this is almost like the rule in ninety nine percent of the cases. You're always providing software as a service on uh, on infrastructure that you manage, right? Yeah. Now, whether yeah. that infrastructure is in US East one of AWS or it's in my bedroom, as long as I don't, I'm not the one who actually uh, makes sure that that's running. Uh, I'm using cloud or the other way around, right? Yeah, I just found it interesting from a market perspective because some some companies like VMware, you know, obviously are more like on in a different market to say public cloud. Um, but oh, yeah. now you're like, does their market get challenged even more when they've gone on prem and they've, you know, so I just find it just a, just an intriguing like market concepts, you know, in the industry. I believe that all those like VMware like companies, they will eventually have to figure out uh, something as a service. I'm 100% yeah. sure of that, right? Because for, for for every one person who goes back from public cloud, let's say, or hyperscaler to on-prem, for every one of those, there is like 10,000 of those who went the other direction, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so it, it, it is going to be decreasing. It will never go away. Like even mainframe did not go away yet, right? So yeah, I don't yeah, expect yeah. It takes a long time. Um, private data centers to go away, but it's definitely shrinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there was like data for it. Uh, the market data shows that it's shrinking. I think it kind of like plateaued for a while where it kind of leveled, it kind of stagnated a bit. But then I think it's kind of like dropping. But that's what I was just wondering whether whether the the data that the market produces on like the shift away from on prem to public cloud. But then you don't really get rid of your on prem; just the public clouds come to your on prem. Whether the terminology, do you see what I mean? Then it's like, yeah, oh, did it? Like what? Right? What really happened? Because the assumption might be that they just don't have a data center anymore, but actually they do. It's just that the clouds managing it um, exactly yeah, but yeah. to me that's the key really key component to me who owns physical stuff means it's nothing now matter. anymore right yeah 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 it's true it's, it's, yeah. to me the question is the first question is okay you see that box over there <laughs> am i managing making sure that it's running or somebody else and then if it's somebody else kind of okay from here on whether this box is here or there yeah, it doesn't cares? make such yeah. a difference anymore, right? A bigger fish to fry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It'd be great just to um, for you to plug how people can find you and and anything you want to add about like interesting things you're up to. Or I'm I'm not very good at self marketing, uh, so uh, I, I'm let's say that ninety percent of what they do always goes public. So if you just Google my name, you will find me on LinkedIn or uh, yeah. Twitter or any Slack known to men, YouTube channel, Devil's Toolkit. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't even know what to do anymore, but all in, it's, all in public, <laughs> it's all in public domain. That's the thing that matters, right? It's searchable, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very aware of you as well. So uh, I definitely, I think most people probably will be already, but um, so it's good. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, by the way. So thanks a lot for talking through your journey and some of the industries. It's been really interesting. Thank you for having me. Cool. Cheers. Bye.